Welcome back to the Bill Bradley Collective. Now, because this is the bonus episode, we're going to try to do something a little different, something quasi-dollopy. Uh, I did some research on a topic. Um, I have not discussed this topic with Andrew and Zach. And because it's me... Um, it's bonus episode, Ed. I'm here, too. Oh. I exist today. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> you knew it was a bonus episode. So. <laughs> you were the one that told me, come on up, we're doing a bonus episode. So I guess, I'm sorry, I, I thought we didn't need to peek that far behind the curtain. But um, anyway. <laughs> you peek yeah. behind the curtain, it's just Brandon with a big head. <laughs> holiday weekend. This fucking demanding ass producer yeah. on a holiday weekend. Right. Right so for those of you who have listened before, uh, you recognize that I am sometimes interested in things that are not exactly relevant to what's going on right now because I am the resident old guy. I ranted about Don Mattingly's 1985 MVP award. It still makes me mad. I was upset about the 1965 draft. And now, fresh from the history books, we will be discussing the 1890 Major League Base Brotherhood of Professional Baseball and the Players <laughs> League. <laughs> So, in 1890, Major League Baseball, as we now, as we kind of now consider it, was seven years old. The American Association and the National League in 1883 created the Major Leagues. And the reason they decided to do this, even though they did not play each other, they played in separate areas of the, of the country, they played in separate cities, they did not have anything resembling a World Series, but they were going to honor the Reserve Clause. What the reserve clause said is that you sign a contract, and when that contract is up, you still belong to the team in perpetuity that you cannot play for anyone else, even though your contract is ended. This is such a self-evidently terrible idea and unfair that it was struck down by the courts 86 years later. In 1975, I remember it, Andy Messersmith, who pitched for the Dodgers, and wanted to go to the Braves, and Dave McNally, who was an Orioles pitcher, was going to go play for wanted to play for someone else. Messersmith ended up, he won his case. McNally dropped out of the case because he was injured primarily because he caught a case of the hiccups that lasted six months. So McNally had one of the strangest. <laughs> end of careers ever because he, he just couldn't get over the hiccups. I was say, Frank Comiskey must have looked at this time of baseball and said, there, if I was going to live in a decade, fuck the 60s, fuck the Roman 20s, I want to live in 1890s indentured servitude baseball right, times. Right. So John Montgomery Ward, who was is in the Hall of Fame now, he came in in 1964, although there is no mention on his plaque of either the Players League or the Brotherhood of Baseball. 1885, he calls a group of the best players in the National League together. The National League was much better. And decides that they have to form a union, although unions in 1885 are not like unions today. The union that was growing in 1885 was the Knights of Labor. Knights of Labor, which... Uh, I was going to say, nor, nor were uh, unions legally recognized the way they are now. Right. And the Knights of Labor, which is a a throwback to what Grail Marcus calls the old weird America was a labor organization that was secret 
they weren't just secret in the organizing. They stayed secret all the time. They had special handshakes. They had special code words. It was very important to not let anyone know that the union existed for no apparent reason, like for no reason. But it was a kind of middle-class union. It came out of the guild idea that these are the best in their, in their field. This was a John Montgomery Ward's idea, too. We are the best players. Montgomery, John Montgomery Ward, while playing, graduated from Columbia Law School. Columbia, which I'm sensitive to. I, was, I went to Columbia. Uh, was today, by our president of the United States, described as a liberal, disgraceful institution. <laughs> and... Um, and John, a, a, a place that exists in his hometown, <laughs> no, <shit. laughs> where yeah. he's from, <laughs> and, the, and the place it's coastal that, elites, man. Yeah, it's fucking the, coastal. Yeah, Do- Donald Trump from Manhattan, right, rearing yeah. against New England, like North right. America, because his father wrote a check to a huge donation to Yale, as opposed to a huge donation to Columbia to get him out of the fucking house. Um, but, but so. <laughs> So he, he is the leader of this. In 1889, he wants to go on strike. They're getting close. Because they came up, the, the National League and the American Association agreed on what was called the Brush Classification Plan, named after Thomas T. Brush, I think it was, in which there was a tiered system of pay that there was no bargaining for your contract. You were paid on one of five tiers, and those tiers were determined by your, quote, habits, earnestness, and special qualifications. <laughs> so a light resume. Just a very light, breezy yeah. resume. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, I know you're hitting 370, but I'm not sure how earnest how you earnest. are. It's the 1900s. Like, you know, I saw you at a saloon with, with the old Mildred, you know, the other day. You got to dock your pay a thousand dollars. Seems like every city we go to, you're hanging out with loose women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are habits. Yeah, yeah, meanwhile, the players are like, yeah, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> so You stole my horse. <laughs> and by the way, this idea was so stupid that it also came back in 1993, I think, when there was a lockout where the, the guy from the Orioles, and I can't remember his name, I couldn't find it, uh, had wanted to have a tiered system based on statistics, and you, if you hit benchmarks of certain statistics, and there would be no negotiating, no con, you know, no, your contracts would be placed the way rookie contracts are now in the NFL, because all of these capitalists are in favor of pure capitalism, except when it comes to labor or when they make a mistake. Mar- Mario Mendoza would have been the least paid player on any team. <laughs> Well, he was pretty earnest. <laughs> Quality. That's true. He, he hit two hundred. How do you hit on these scales? Yeah, right. He hit two hundred. Understand the scale. He, he never got to. He never got to second base with a woman. Those are good habits. <laughs> never got to second. Never got to second base on the team either. But you know, that was good habits. Tries real hard. Tries real hard. Right. So the other two issues that really rankled John Montgomery Ward is the reservation of players at below previous salary. So what would happen is, and this happened up until 1975, you'd have a season, they'd say, you know, look, you didn't do as well as I thought you would do. We're going to offer you $3,000 less. And you say, well, I don't want to make $3,000 less. And they say, well, the option is you don't pay for you don't pay for anything at all. This happened to Ralph Kiner. He got his salary cut $10,000. He was making like 40,000 and they cut it to 30,000. Brent Rickey did. And 
He said, but I led the league in home runs. You said, well, we finished last with you. We could finish last without you. But you lied to a reporter once. <laughs> yeah. In September 12th, you lied to a reporter. So um, so the, the reservation to players at below previous salaries, and actually the other one is the abolition of selling players. Selling of players existed until the late 70s when they had to stop Charlie Finley from selling off his entire team. Because Finley, when the A's dynasty, the 70s A's dynasty started to collapse, sold everybody. Just sold everybody. And it was going to take the cash and then just disband the team. That is the, that is the, the global soccer system. These teams, they, they fucking sell, you know, they sell and trade fucking players for I, 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 as high as nine figure, like Euro numbers. I was going to say, this is the Jeter method. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, see, I just feel like this is like, it's, but it's somebody it, describing a fantasy football league that I would never join. <laughs> like, it's just, uh, the, the, I don't feel well, comfortable. Well, yeah, well, Brock Altweiler was basically sold. sold. Yeah, I mean, the, the selling of players is still done. But John Montgomery Ward made a great point. You sell me, because they're going to sell him. For $10,000, my value is determined by the two of you at $10,000. I'm making $4,500. Why am I not being paid my value? I should get half of the sale price in addition to my salary because you've determined my battle, my value through the capitalist system. John Montgomery Ward is a smart guy. And they said no. So, of course they did. <laughs> Shocker. So so what happens is they say, well, screw it. John Montgomery Ward said, screw it. We're going to start our own league. And so all of the players, in when I say all the players, 55% of the National League players and 17% of the American Association players who were not as good joined the Players League. And they were going to be in a in kind of a companionship with what they called the capitalists. Because John Montgomery Ward said, Major League Baseball could be successful if they could only get over the idea that they owned us. And so he said, we're going to do this kind of collaboration. Players would be allowed to own stock in the team, which is still not allowed. You can't do that now in any sport. Kind of like a profit sharing? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a workers' collaborative, but with also capital because... They had, they had brought in some capitalists, and that's what they called them. They didn't call them owners. They called them capitalists because they had to build stadiums. One of the stadiums they built was the Polo Grounds. In 1890, yeah. that stadium still existed. It wasn't the same structure, but it was on the same spot. That stadium still existed when I was alive. The Mets played at the Polo Grounds. Well, so wait, they didn't make the city pay for it back then? <laughs> no, they, the cities did not pay for it back then. Yeah, uh, They should have looked to the future. That's yeah. the smart model. Just make yeah. the city pay for it. They were really capitalist. They would cut the government to fit the bill. So they decide they're going to form this league. And John Montgomery Ward views himself and his fellow players as equals to the owners. And so they were much more interested in the National League than they were in the American Association because the American Association had diff a different kind of class of owners. It was low. I mean, it just wasn't as good a league. It was not like the National League and American League today. It would be like the National League and the International League. I was thinking like, it's like the yeah. NFL and AFL. Yeah, except – but but I think – I mean, they viewed themselves equally in terms of rating other players each other's players and they had the same set of rules like the the brush plan would have affected both 
it's different from the ABA and the NBA. Like the American Association would have been like the East and the West in in uh, the NBA, where yeah. for decades the East wasn't remotely as good. The Players League was different from the ABA or the AFL or the post-Trump USFL because the goal of the ABA and the goal of the WHL WHA and the goal goal of of the AFL was to combine with the NFL. Mm -hmm. That was not the goal of the Players League. The goal of the Players League was to drive those businesses out and, and work this way. So they ended up with the vast majority of the best players. 14 players in the Players League ended up in the Hall of Fame. Jesus. But they did a couple things that got them in trouble from the start. One is they put their schedule out very early. Here's what our schedule is going to be. And then the National League, which was run by Albert Spaulding of Spaulding Sporting Goods, uh, who was in the Hall of Fame in 1937. He was an initial inductee into the Hall of Fame. He, was, like, he joined with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Actually, actually, I think Lou Gehrig was after, but he joined with Babe Ruth and Cy Young. And he had, in every city where both the Players League and the National League had, a game, had teams, he scheduled them directly against each other. The Players League refused to do three things that the American Association did, which made them different. One is the American Association played on Sundays. National League did not. Players League chose not to. The American Association sold alcohol during games. Now, this is the 1880s. Good move. Good move. None none of us would be a National League game. (laughs) But this is a good move. Yeah, but this is the American Association. This is uh, the United States in 1880 pre-Prohibition era where drinking of hard liquor had become like big thing so like they sold rum they sold moonshine like it wasn't a, it wasn't a 12 dollar beer well I'm, that's my question like in 1890 though was it like did they do like penny uh penny bourbons <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, that's right. was that the promotion like yeah. it, it was the uh, it was it was for two pennies you got a bourbon and a pbr yeah. exactly. <laughs> i think your time frame on to start a pbr is pretty close and um, right some of them still exist and they had 50 cent admission where the American Association had 25 cent admission. The American Association, based on the lower admission in the alcohol, tended to have rowdier crowds. And then that was saying something back then because fans used to come on the field and get in fights. Like it was it was all pretty, pretty raucous. But John Montgomery Ward wanted to have a more kind of highfalutin league. They could have decided, look, we like in New York, the New York Giants which was the name of the team back then, played the exact schedule in May, 26 games in May that the Players League also played. So they played 26 times on the same day in the same town. They could have played on Sundays. They could have done other things. They chose not to do those things because John Montgomery thought this was going to be successful. So the National League pushed back, and the league starts. Overall attendance is down across like the number of fans going to games is lower in 1890 than it was in 1889 because fans had lost their connection to the old team and have yet to form connections to the new teams. And it was hard to tell because everybody overemphasized their their crowd size. Remember, like, 
the UFL, USFL was famous for this. 34,000. You're looking at like 20 people in the stands. Like, what? They came dressed as empty seats? What happens? You're like, <laughs> It's like going to an Expos game. <laughs> I do. Yeah, they we, get dressed as empty seats. <laughs> yeah, we, we have 12,000 people here. It's like, it's us. <laughs> yes. Seven of us. Right. And by the, the way, seat. they keep waving me into pitch. Yeah. <laughs> the senior major league were like Euchre in this like uh, empty Cleveland stadium. And he puts the mic out for like crowd noise. Yeah. And I got the whole press box making, yeah, yeah, come on, let's go Indians. Let's go. There's nobody in the fucking stadium. But it looks like the, uh, the players league attendance was better. It became kind of a crisis in July when the National League team in New York, the Giants, looked like they were going to fold. And because socialism is only for the very, very wealthy, the league bought the team and continued playing them because they knew if they lost New York, they were losing the league. Yep. So the season goes on. The American Association is starting to really hemorrhage. They've had two teams go bankrupt in the middle of the year. The National League took the Brooklyn Bridegrooms and put them in the National League. The Brooklyn Bridegrooms were an American Association team. They put them in the National League. They're the only team. <laughs> Brooklyn Bridegrooms? <laughs> Brooklyn Bridegrooms. Right. That had to have been the most. <laughs> Who would have thought in 1890 there was, <laughs> there's a team like encouraging thruples? <laughs> It's yeah, the uh, yeah. I don't. I don't. I have no idea where. It's that surprisingly. Came. The bridegrooms it's, is just a team. I wouldn't know what to expect. It's like sex equal though. It's like the bride and the groom are of equal. On this thing, <laughs> it's very equal. progressive. Yeah, it's kind of it's kinda progressive. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the season comes to an end. The national American Association is basically done. The teams have lost too much money. They can't go on. National League teams lost $500,000. Players League te- lost one fifty. So the Players League at this point looks like this is going to work. And they meet with the National League, who is looking to find a way to make this kind of combined in some way. They're looking for something, some way out. Uh, Albert Spaulding told the group of owners... I have no intention of dying with my boots on. We need a way out. So they meet, the group of the National League owners meet with three capitalists and three players. And Albert Spaulding refuses to allow the players in the meeting. Even though the players own stock in the team, that was part of being part of the team. You had to own stock in it. Which, by the way, kind of got rid of the trades. Like, there's no trades. Yeah, <laughs> it's a partial order. So he says, I will not meet if the players are there. John Ward, not related to uh, Montgomery Ward, said, no, I, I am part owner, player manager. I get to be here. They go out, and when they return, it's just the three capitalists. The players leave and refuse to speak to the press who's, who's waiting for them. So they start the meeting, and Spaulding says, let's be honest about where we are. And the owners of the Players League's team talk about the amount of money they lost. And Spaulding says, we made a profit. Because he knew the capitalists were going to just sell the players out. And what ended up happening is each of the capitalists got a National League team. It became a 12. They went from eight teams to 12. And 
that ended it because they pulled all their money out. The players can't go. They did not blackball the players, which is what happened in the federal league. If you joined the federal league, they weren't going to let you back in. That's 20 years later. In this case, they didn't because they had all the players. <laughs> like they, they couldn't do it because the players would have just formed another league and they had all the players. But the, the, the salaries were incredibly low. Montgomery went from $4,500 to $3,000 a year. Uh, Tim, Tim Keefe, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, lost 1000 The guy who led the Players League in home runs and RBIs plus at three seventy two, so he was pretty good, took a $1,500 pay cut. They all took big pay cuts. And they ended up back in court. And one of the things I, I meant to talk about earlier is National League fought on the reserve rule before the Players League even started. Montgomery Ward, who was really smart, the reserve rule had never been in contracts. It was part of a gentleman's agreement. And he insisted that it be in every contract because that made it, now you could, you could take it to court. So he goes to court to allow them to start, start the Players League because of National League says we own them. I have a very like rudiment, rudimentary at best <laughs> knowledge of like 19th century baseball. The one name that I really like it's like Cap Anson, who I think I think was the the best player of the pre nineteenth century, maybe one of the best players of the nineteenth century. He was the most famous player. Most famous. Okay. He was not. Cap Anson refused to leave the National League. He stu- he stuck with it and wanted all of the other players banned. Cap Anson <laughs> nice also, more than any single person, created segregation in baseball. African Americans played. In the, na- in the National League until Cap Anson, who refused to let his team, he was a player manager, he wouldn't play against them. So rather than say to Cap, that stinks, you're done, they said, okay, yeah, we... You they, just, Cap Anson had that kind of like pull where he, he was could, the he, most he could say, famous player. Yes. Wow. Yeah, oh, I mean, shit. he wasn't the best player. Um, Montgomery Ward, through the... John Montgomery Ward, through the second no, perfect game in, in in the history of majors, it was four days after the first one, or five days after the first one, hurt his arm and then became an all-star shortstop. Now, that used to happen a lot more than it does now uh, because the quality of play was lower. You, you know, fun fact about Cap Hansen, uh there was actually a player that was considered better than him about a couple decades later, and uh, he put out a 10-part uh, radio documentary to basically show how he was better, uh, a la Jordan. Yes. <laughs> oh, Kenny. Kenny Burns? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I thought there was going to be another answer. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> he, uh, he also was a spokesman for Haynes. Um, <laughs> and, and fun fact, he also uh, refused to donate and support, or he refused to support a, uh, a guy who was a, not a segregationist. So there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, that's right. So... The National League takes the players and, and Montgomery Ward, because he was the ringleader, to court and says that you can't start your league. You have, you're part of the reserve clause. And um, Ward's, the guy, one of the guys, Ward helped argue his case, but his co counsel was Henry Howland, who said this action was, quote, purely an ex- exhibition of buncomb on the part of the plaintiffs. <laughs> And intended from its inception to terrorize players and prevent them from signings with the play, Players League, thus crushing out its life. 
the fact that the word buncomb, which I have never heard of, in yeah, my I life. want to know what the hell that I, means. I just, we really I need think, to bring I, I a deep it, dive on buncomb. You said buncomb, and I stopped listening. B-U- my brain just filled with what B- does bum- buncombe? Um, so Ward wins the case. <laughs> what is buncomb? It, it's got to be bullshit. All right. I, I, yeah. Um, I, I, it's a man who, <laughs> it's a man who <laughs> gently combs feet bunions or something. Like, it's no, got to be something bumped. It, bump it, 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 it's it's how like, you get a man bump. Yeah. yeah. Bump comb. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Ward wins his case on the grounds that the standard contract consisted of an inequitable balance between the players and the owners. The judge says the standard player contract lacks of mutuality between the contracting parties and quote upon the grounds that the contract is indefinite and uncertain. You would think that would have ended the reserve clause and it did not because when they went back, the Supreme court overruled it because if you're progressive, you have to win in court a thousand times. And if you're conservative, you just have to win once. Um, so they, they end up, um, you know, he, he goes back to court, they lose the reserve clause Ward retires four years later and petitions the Giants to let him out of his reserve clause for for several years until they finally agree to do so and they're sure he'll not play again because he hated the sense of being owned. There was one player who hadn't played for eight years. The guy quit rather than play under the current contract, and I think he worked in the coal mines. And they sent him a two hundred and fifty dollar, uh, two hundred and fifty dollar contract every year, and said, you know, you should sign this and you can come play. And he just refused because he didn't want to. He made more, and, but they did it every year to remind him that he was still owned by the players. So it was, uh, and this is mostly based on an article by Ethan Lewis, which is readily available on the internet, and I hi- highly recommend. I mean, I've just hit the highlights. I've got pages upon pages of things highlighted that. I mostly forgot about as I was talking, but the idea that the players league, which is always viewed, you know, and I had read about it this way is, you know, it was a fall- fallacy. Like that was never going to work. It could have easily worked if the, if the capitalists said, no, you can join us and be, you know, where our league is fine. You can join us, but none of these guys understood baseball economics. And so like one guy was a trolley car owner. And he mostly wanted to profit from the trolley car. So they gave him a team so they could profit from the trolley car. Like, they just bought up these guys it's off. Like, it's like, oh, what? The Red Sox trading Babe Ruth to fund a play. Yes. Right. To fund uh, um, a, a bad play. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even a good play. No. Was, yes. Um, this was very, very close to working. I don't think it could work in any sport other than basketball today. Do you think it could even work in basketball? I think basketball of all of all the sports is the one that's I think it's obviously most player driven. If it's going to work in any sport, it's going to work in in basketball. Not not yet. In basketball is there a type of equity that would raise this kind of class consciousness because like I've been talking about maybe football because there's slightly more equity in pay. Football is almost too like it's too just it's just it's it's big business. It's just yeah. it's. Hey, there's too many players. Too many, yeah. too many players. Yeah, that, too, that's, too, that's true. It's it's different. Twelve players versus forty. Too many players and too few yeah. stars. Yeah. Um. Also, the thing and about they want to keep it that way. The thing about basketball is you could play. I mean, 
I, th- I think it's telling that the NBA owners chose to lock out the players after Jordan left. Not that Jordan <laughs> would have rallied the troops, but like there will be no lockouts while LeBron's playing. Because LeBron would say, screw it. We're going to play exhibition games. We're going to have, we're going to play in fourth places. We're going to play 80 games or 60 games a season. Well, except if those games, you know, if one of those games have to have to happen in China, then he'll, then he'll just let it happen. <laughs> what was, no, but I mean, if they did think of, I, I thought about this. Here's what you could do. You could set up 60%, like four areas fairly close by. You play 12 teams, 12 times 12 is 144 players. That's all you need. And you play in these stadiums. You play a couple games a day. Nobody plays back-to-back. You play maybe 60 games. And you sell it to Amazon for streaming. You don't need to have the profit. You don't need to have the profit margin that the NBA has because all the money is going to the players and the staff who they have to pay. That is a doable model. The reason it won't be done is because the players are so well paid. Like it's, it's very hard to organize really satisfied workers. Like I, if you've I've done organizing drives and you go places and everyone says, no, I really like I really like the owners. They're great. It's like, well, then you're not going to organize. Them. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot yeah. harder to organize engineers than it is to organize custodians. Yeah, right, get right. A good, they have a good income. Right, and, and so they have they have more to lose. You know, as Janis Joplin said, they have said, more options to go elsewhere. Right. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, and 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 Holla. and then you know these people have a lot. You know, NBA players and, and and all professionals have a lot to lose. I do think that could be done. I can't imagine it in any other sport. The other thing is you would not have to build stadiums. I mean, you can have you, you, right. You can you can. And streaming makes it obviously. I put a lot of thought into this uh, because I have you know I have. At least fifteen hundred dollars I can invest. Uh, <laughs> I'll be one of the capitalists, but uh, then I'll sell out to the NBA and reap my rewards. But because of streaming services, you wouldn't need a big TV contract. You could just do streaming. How much would Netflix pay for the only professional basketball that exists? And they have bottomless pockets, as does Amazon. And and there's more coming. Uh, it, the NBA's partners, media partners now, or there's two of them. It's it's ESPN, Disney, and it's and it's Turner. They could go to Amazon. They could they could go to Apple. They could go to Netflix. They could go they could just go to they could go to Fox if they wanted to do it terrestrially. If you want money, go to Netflix. That's if if I've learned anything from South Park this season, it is uh, Netflix is pouring out the money. Yes, yeah. or you start your own streaming service and you charge people. I mean, that's a more that's a yeah. bigger capital, but you could start this. Yeah, way. the Big Ten started Bill their Bill. own streaming service. The Pack. Pac-12 started their own streaming service. Big uh, SEC started their own streaming service. But like under, but, but with, with, with the backing ESPN, of the NCAA, of course, and, of course, and Fox yeah. in the case of Big Ten. FYI, Bill Battered Collective Season 2 brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I mean, maybe I'm a little more cynical. Uh, I mean, first of all, I, I, I think I, I now know uh, on my tombstone I wanted to say, Ah shit! I, I died with my boots on. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, I want to say that, to, like in Just all ah, seriousness, with a straight face to somebody someday. I want I want to say. Uh, uh, but, I mean, it's a common expression now, but I think I he was the first one to say it. But, but and by the way, Albert Spalding, complete dick. Not as much of a dick as Charles Kaminsky. But the, see, this, uh, who, was, this, who was an American Association owner who they brought into the National League? By the way, that league sucked. There were twelve teams. There were no playoffs, and because of the disparity in the league. There were usually, for years, only two teams that had any shot of winning the title in September. So September was 
wasted for almost every everybody was the Kansas City Royals. Well, the the thing, the cynicism of that of the story is is you listen to this, it just reinforces this long history that now is not any real difference. Uh, there's not any real difference now uh, than there was 130 years ago that the Supreme Court will rule against workers. The owners will rule. And I, when I say owners, I don't mean like every small business owner. I mean like the, the people who proudly call themselves capitalists that they will always rule against you. I mean, the different, you know, if this court case happened today, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are voting against the workers. And oh, yeah, the, the reserve, got, they, they would find in favor of it, the reserve clause, which is, by the way, fucking crazy. It, Your contract's over, and now you have a one-way contract? The fact you signed a contract with someone, at the end of that contract, you still owe them, but they don't owe you? Well, well the, that's the thing. Is like The message I took out of this, because especially you, know, you and I come from labor background, is the best message of this is just from 1890 to now you still see it we talked about it last week on the on our last episode with the i am a man thing it's like no person is owned period right like you do not own a worker but we're still fighting the same fucking fight but 130 years later we're still fighting it we live in 2020 and we live in and currently today we're amidst this this pandemic and you've got 30 million more people out of work than there were three months ago. And you've got a president, a sitting president, that wants to just stamp out food stamps. He wants to stamp out all sorts of like of help. He, he's in court, and he, to, get, and he's he wants, in court to get rid of the ACA. What's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and, and he just wants to inflate inflate the rich, deflate the now the poor that are now the really poor. It's it's mind boggling. Well, it, it's one of the frustrations of you know having the the ideology or, b or beliefs that we all have is that uh, the fight. One of the struggles is it, it, the fight is almost as a fian because it's never over. We'll win. And like you said, we have to win a thousand times. They only have to win once. I, I did think the story gave me some hope in that I did imagine a situation. I mean, I think the reason the NBA is NBA players are where they are is because the owners recognize, oh, the players actually do have all the power. Yeah. And um, we were talking about the last dance. In the last season, that 97-98 season, half of league profits were on Bulls merchandise, almost half. And, you know, the players were able to get some of that in, in collective bargaining. But collective bargaining is only useful if, if people live up to the contracts. And... Uh, but I did. I did think this was well worth it. Um, to, to 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 go back to our forebears in the struggle, and uh, I recommend that everyone read the Ethan Lewis article. And uh, this was, I thought, kind of fun. Yeah, it was a good time. All yeah. right. So thank you very <laughs> much, and we'll be uh, we'll be around. Uh, the four of us will be around uh, in some form pretty soon. Every week. Every week. Sorry. Every goddamn yeah. week. You can't get rid of us. We're in your fucking <laughs> phone. We're, we're going to be getting you to hate people who have been dead for 90 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't get me started on Charles Kaminsky. <laughs>